I'm your beloved Chuck. <laughs> Good morning. My goodness, I didn't believe there were this many people in Redondo Beach. I want to thank you all for coming. I think, you know, that if a guy's going to talk a little while, it's nice if somebody comes. <laughs> and somebody certainly has come this morning. <clears throat> We've already had a good uh, good talk here, so uh, I don't have to do very much. Mainly, I came to tell you I love you. That's the mainest thing that I have to say to you. I love you. And you don't have to change for me to love you. You don't have to get any gooder or any badder or any smarter or anything else. I love you because I know who you are, whether you do or not. And so I love you. I'm totally and completely lost in the last few years in converting intellectual knowledge into conscious awareness. Practically everything that I know now that is pertinent to my well-being, I knew 50, 60 years ago. And just about everything I believe now that's pertinent to my well-being, I believed 50 or 60 years ago. Intellectually. And I've been uh, converting it into conscious awareness. <laughs> and it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. <clears throat> For instance, the little phrase, in him we live and move and have our being. I've known that ever since I can remember. And almost all the time, I thought it meant just us. We human beings. It didn't occur to me that, well, it did once in a while. I got an inkling once in a while. That it meant all life. In him, everything lives and moves and has to be. Not just us, but uh, our life. Because there, there's only one life. There's one life with many faces, one mind common to all men. And that takes in everything that is. You know, the... The English translation, the word, the Hebrew word for God is that which is. That which is, and it means everything that is. And I was sort of bound up for a long time thinking it just meant us. But uh, it don't. For instance, 
I've been swimming with a uh, salmon from the headwaters of the uh, Klamath River to Japan and back, trying to find out who is its travel agent. <laughs> <laughs> You know something? I get lost in the airport. <laughs> and uh, that salmon goes from the headwaters of the Klamath to Japanese waters and back to the headwaters of the Klamath to spawn and to die. And that's something like 9,000 miles of water, one way. And you say, how does it do it? We had a little phenomenon down our way, San Juan Capistrano. We have a bunch of swallows that show up down there on St. Joseph's Day. Every year of the world, almost on the minute, you know. And they winter in Venezuela. And I've been trying to find out who is their travel agent. <laughs> You know, it's a long ways to Venezuela, but they do that. I have some uh, birds down my way that I feed. I have some blue jays, and I feed them, and I feed the hummingbirds, and uh, they're liable to be sitting in the same tree. And the, the hummingbird will take off and stop in the air. Just stop up there and sit there. And he's liable to start out forward or backward or sideways. And I never have heard one of those blue jays say to the other one, Look, that monkey's flying backwards. I can't fly backwards. <laughs> and he gets out there and tries to fly, fly backwards and he falls. Breaks his leg. You know? I got a bougainvillea. I've had it 25 years. And it hasn't yet decided to be a rose. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be a bougainvillea all that time. I'd want to be a rose, wouldn't you? That bougainvillea never wanted to be a rose. It's perfectly satisfied to be what it is, and it knows how. Now, that's the whole story this morning. It's perfectly satisfied to be what it is, and it knows how. And I'm convinced that as if and when you and I get simple enough to be ourselves, we'll find that uh, we have everything necessary for our complete fulfillment. Because I do not believe that God's idea of a salmon including 
everything necessary for its complete fulfillment would leave us then without that same sort of uh, thing. But you see, when we get up to our status, we get the idea that we have to improve on God's handiwork. <laughs> We're not satisfied. We've got to improve on God's handiwork. And this entire society of ours, this entire civilization, pretty little ruined me because it said that I had to be this, have that, and be known as before I could live. They read to me right out of the Bible that uh, you win your bread by the sweat of your brow, old boy. So get out there in the salt mine and get to work. You got to outthink, outperform, and outmaneuver everybody else in order to eke out a miserable living out of an unfriendly universe. And that's what I was taught. And I worked on it very hard. The way I was brought up to believe. And amongst other things, I had to earn, be worthy of, and merit God's grace. You know? In my family, we were half of us Methodist Church South and half of us Hartsdale Baptist. Down which there ain't nothing witcher. <laughs> so, <clears throat> we were born sinners. That's what they told us. We were born sinners. We didn't have to sin to go to hell. We had to get saved to keep from going to hell. <laughs> you know? And that is a, a, a terrible thing to teach a kid, isn't it? Isn't that awful? I was 60 years old before I ever looked in the dictionary to see what the uh, definition of the word grace was. I thought I knew. I thought I was born knowing. Never occurred to me that I didn't know what grace meant. But when I was 60 years old, I looked in the dictionary and it said a free gift. That was the first definition. A free gift. How are you going to earn or be worthy of or merit a free gift? You, you, you can't hardly do that because it's free. And that's the way it is with us. God's idea of his child, you and me, includes everything necessary for our complete fulfillment. There's a little place outside of Santa Cruz, little area that's that a fence around it. And in that area, they have uh, some very interesting things. They have a couple of trees that grew across each other like that, you know. And the uh, wind would blow and they'd annoy each other. So they created, they built a natural graph between them to hold them apart about like that. And there it is, about that big. As much of it one tree as the other, you know. 
Now, who told them how to do that? You know, that's quite a thing. They don't know each other now. They don't, uh, you know. Who told them? That's a truth I'm talking about. Not even a sermon now, you know. <laughs> but there it is. Two years ago, I was up there by myself, <clears throat> looking at those things, and it was raining. And I stood there in the rain, crying my eyes out. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. There it was. And there's a big redwood in that dealie. 150 years ago, it burned out. The base of it burned out. <coughs> and limbs grew out and down and into that burn. And you can stand right there and look at it. And I just stood there bawling and getting wet. And I got wetter than a... I got wet. <laughs> and a lot of it was tears. Limbs don't go out and down. They go out and grow out and up. But those didn't. And that tree's still standing there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that if God's idea of a salmon includes everything necessary for its complete fulfillment, If God's idea of a redwood tree includes everything necessary for its complete fulfillment, do you think his idea of us would include less? You know? How long in my life did I walk alone? How long? Forty-three years, as a matter of fact. I walked alone. Trying so hard to be and do the things I was taught that I must be and do. And I walked alone for forty-three years. For the last thirty-five years, I haven't walked alone at all. I've never been alone. Often by myself, but never alone. Because uh, some 35 years ago, I discovered that I had a God of my very own, and wherever I am, he is. Now, intellectually, I had... Embraced this a long time ago because I, I met our beloved Ernest, Ernest Holmes, in 1923. The Institute of Religious Science and School of Philosophy was put together in my office at 444 Southwestern Avenue in Los Angeles between 1900 and 24 and 1927. It became a thing. 
1927. But it was at that time the Institute of Religious Science and School of Philosophy. <coughs> Ernest never did want a church movement. But it outgrew him, you know, and became a church movement. But he always said that he didn't want a roof over his head. He wanted everything to be open top, you know. And I lived with him until he died. That is, we were very, very close friends. From 1923 until 1960, when he left. And uh, so I was pretty well steeped in uh, our philosophy, pretty well all my life. And uh, it wasn't all to the bad. Uh, there were a lot of good things happened. Uh, lots of things that were necessary to happen to me that did happen. Miracles, so-called. And yet, it took a long time for me to be free enough to see what we're talking about today and to include all things, all things. Life is one. One life with many faces, one mind common to all men. And everything that lives, lives in it. God is that which is. Everything that is. And we're related to the whole thing. Now, I should have been easier to... It should have been easier for me to discover that than most people. Because I got a bunch of, Indi <laughs> bunch of Indians mixed up in my background. And that's what they've always believed. You know, that we're all, uh, all one. And I, I'd get, as I told you, I would get occasions when I would feel this pretty uh, strongly. But I forget it in the world of business and pleasure. And so... I had to have a little catastrophe in my life that made it necessary for me to find out the truth or remove me as a roadblock. That's what it did. And then the truth was there. And it's a fantastic thing. <clears throat> I am totally convinced that the little phrases that I have rattled off for years. Fear not, little flock, it's Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Take no thought of the morrow, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, wherever all you shall be clothed. The Heavenly Father knoweth what you have need of, for we ask him. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And let I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. I've always known these things. But they didn't include the whole picture. Presently, they include the whole picture. The whole thing. 
so I'm related to my... I called them jaybirds as a kid. I'm related to them. I'm related to the hummingbirds. And I'm related to my bougainvillea. And I'm related to you. You see? Everything. And what a deal it is. What a thing it is. The Jews were pretty close to it, you know. They said, Hear ye, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one. One, not two, one. And that ain't bad. And that's the way it is. There is no way that you and I could be separated from God, except in consciousness. That's the only separation there is. The carpenter man said it like this. He said, who by taking thought can add one cubit to his stature? Now, what does that mean? It means that you and I cannot change the reality of our own being. We can only change our experience in reality. We can only change our experience in reality. So, that should be a pretty uh, happy thought for us to take home with us. Because it means that sooner or later, every one of us has to come back home to the living God that made us. We have to, because it's impossible to be separated from God, because God is life. God is life. God is that, what I, that which I am, and God is that which you are. It's too close to find... Because if you're looking for it, you can't find it. Because what you're looking for, you're looking with. You see? And as long as it's someplace else, we can't find it. We've got to find it where it is, in the middle of us. And it's a matter of uncover, discover, and discard. Uncover, discover, and discard. That's the whole process. Uncover, discover, and discard. We uncover the thing we've been looking for all our lives and find it where it is, which is right here. And then we discard the misinformation that this so-called civilization has laid upon us. For instance, I can have my uh, living room full of Ph.D. Ph.D.s. <laughs> and uh, when I get a little tired of them, I ask them a question. Did it ever occur to you gentlemen what it would be like never to want anything at any time for yourself? And their chins drop 
and her eyes get a little bit glassy. And they pick up their little papers and silently steal away. <laughs> because they know I flipped. You know. Because they know that it isn't normal not to want anything. And they know that it's not normal not to be going someplace. You see? They think that's, that's, our, that's what we ought to be doing. Improving ourselves. How are you going to improve on God? Hmm? This is not self-improvement. It's self-discovery. It's self-discovery. We uncover and discover the thing we've been looking for all our lives. And it's right here. Now, the wonder of wonders is that I never made a mistake in the first 43 years of my life. I never made one mistake. <laughs> there were some pretty lousy things happened to me, but it was not my fault. It was not my fault. It was your fault. It was the conditions and circumstances. It was the boss. It was my wife. But more particularly, it was her mother. <laughs> I never made one mistake in the first 43 years. And something happened to me when I was 43. And all my excuses and all my I wants disappeared. I guess they burned out. You people don't know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. <laughs> they burned out. And I didn't have any more excuses. And I didn't have any more I wants. And I started trying to rub out a record. Thirty-five years and eight months ago. And uh, that's all I wanted to do. Rub out as much of the record as I could before it died. And that's what I've been doing for thirty-five years and eight months. And everything that I beat my brains out to get and ended up without came into my life. When I quit trying to get anything, got rich. When I quit trying to go anyplace, I've been all over the world. And when I quit trying to run my life and my wife's and my kids, we became a family. We're as close as thieves. So, I have an idea that uh, St. Francis knew what he was talking about when he said, uh, for it's better to love than to be loved. It's better to understand than to be understood. 
For it is in giving that we receive, and forgiving that we're forgiven, and in dying that we awaken to eternal life. Now, I changed that line. I changed everything you don't like. I changed the line in the Lord's Prayer, you know, because it says in there someplace, lead us not into temptation. And when I was a little bitty old kid, I knew that God couldn't lead me into temptation. I didn't know how come that thing was in there, because God couldn't lead me into temptation. You don't know anything about temptation. God don't know anything that's contrary to his own nature. You see, we've got him messed up. We think he knows a lot about bad stuff and evil stuff. and Maybe he's a God of judgment that uh, grants and withholds. You hear that all over the place. Not true. God couldn't know anything that's contrary to his own nature and be God. Because if there was anything that was contrary to his nature... The Bible couldn't start out, in the beginning, God. <coughs> God plus nothing leaves nothing but God. It'd have to say, in the beginning, God and something else. <laughs> if there's a God of judgment, there'd have to be something that God is not. Wouldn't it? Or there wouldn't be any way to judge. Well, there isn't. God is. You know, when it talks about God in the Bible, it says he's like the wind. He comes from someplace and goes someplace, and we don't know where he came from or where he went. Totally free. And we're totally free. Totally free. There is nobody any place or no thing any place that's keeping books on you. You can do as you please. As long as you are willing to take the inevitable consequence of your thought and act. The great law of life says, we reap what we sow. You cannot plant radishes and get cucumbers. If you don't like radishes, don't plant them. Because that's what you're going to get. And if you don't like what's coming back into your life, change what you're pouring in. If you're pouring in slop, you get back slop. Now, I can go right down the middle of the road with that, but I can't go afoot with a God of judgment. You know? So, I changed the line in the Lord's Prayer. It says, uh, Lead us not in temptation. I changed it when I was quite young. To thou leadest us not into temptation, but delivereth us from evil. And when I got big, I bought me a direct translation of the Aramaic in the New Testament. The Aramaic was the tongue of Jesus. And I was reading it, and you know what it said? Thou leadest us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
That's a direct translation from Aramaic. <clears throat> so, what we sow, we reap. What we sow, we reap. And that's the great law of justice without judgment. We have a God of love and a great law of justice without judgment. And I can go right down the line with that. I changed St. Francis' prayer because he said, in dying that we awaken to eternal life. And I, uh, I didn't want to wait that long. <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? <clears throat> He meant in dying to self or surrender. In dying to self or surrender. That we awaken to eternal life. And I thought, well, wait a minute, I can't, uh, I can't change the Catholic uh, precepts and get out here and talk about them without getting a little authority. So I called Manresa, that's a Jesuit retreat house. The Jebbies are tops, you know, and that, that other deal. So I called them. And I said, uh, listen to what I did to St. Francis' prayer. For it is in dying to self or surrender that we awaken to eternal life. And you know what that monkey said to me? I had old Father Toner on the line, knew him well. And he said, what the hell did you think he meant? <laughs> and just like he had known it all his life. He never even thought about it till I told him. <laughs> and dying to self or surrender, that we'll break into eternal life. Now, and closing, and I've got to close, I guess. I love, I love to talk. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> I think the only roadblock between you and me and me and God is the human ego. I think it's the only roadblock there is. And I think that it is divinely impossible to satisfy the human ego. Divinely impossible, because everything about it is relative. It's all relative. I want or don't want to like or don't like, I yai, yai, yai. That's the human ego, you know? And it's got to go over the boards, because it cannot be satisfied. Everything about it is relative. For instance, if you haven't got two coppers to rub together, five dollars a fortune. If you have five dollars, you're broke. And it goes just like that up to millions. I had a client for many years, Syrian. His headquarters were in Phoenix. And he used to say to me, Charlie, how can I be like you? And I'd say, you can't, Eddie. And he said, why can't I? 
I'd say, who needs God, Eddie, when he's got $35 million? And that's what he had. <laughs> he's worth 35 million bucks. And he was 10 years older, uh, 10 years younger than I was. He said to me, Charlie, how can I be like you? You can't. Who needs God when he's got 35 million bucks? Now I said, Eddie, you go ahead and make yourself 150 million, and you will if you live, because everything you touch turns to money. But when you got to 150, you come and ask me how you can be like me, and I'll tell you, and you can do it. Because by then you will have found out that it can't do for you what you have to have done right here. You see? There's no substitute for that. <clears throat> There's no way to satisfy an, ab uh, an obsession for power. All of us went through Watergate, and everybody in this room, and all the rest of us, were damaged by Watergate. There wasn't anybody that won. No possibility to satisfy an obsession for power. Then about uh, I shouldn't say that here. What about women or men? Suppose my obsession had been for women, as if it weren't. <laughs> I'd suppose I'd been the greatest Lothario of all times. And every chick-chick that I took out after, I caught. But one. Now, at my age, that'd be quite an army, wouldn't it, son? <laughs> But that army satisfied. Uh, this one kills me. The one I can't get. It's divinely impossible to satisfy the human ego because it's conscious separation. It's me against the world. It's me against God. It's me against you. That's what kicked us out of the Garden of Eden. God didn't kick us out. We ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is duality. 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 Duality is the only problem in life, and unity is the only answer. The ancients said it like this. If you would enter the state known as bliss, you must first do away with the pairs of opposites. You've got to do away with them. You can't believe in two things and live in the garden of the soul. So, we got to do away with the pairs of opposites. And the, the way we do away with them is to do away with uh, their creator, which is the human ego. We to <coughs> totally and completely abandon ourselves to the living God that made us in the entire business of living. Totally. If God is worth anything at all, he's worth everything. And it's not too bad to turn your will and your life over to the care of God. I have a great time with him. I uh, talk with him all the time. I share the good and the bad. 
and dump it and never pick it up again. If I do a lousy stunt, I, I share it. I say, look, Father, isn't this a hell of a thing? I, I shouldn't say that in church, should I? <laughs> but I do. I say, isn't this a hell of a thing for me to do? I knew better when I did it. But I did it. And I don't like it. And you don't like it. And I'm going to do better. And if you're helpful, do a lot better. Sure, thank you. And I go about my business. And I'll never pick it up again. Never even think about it again. And when the good thing happens, I do the same thing. I say, look, Father, isn't this beautiful? It couldn't happen to a bum like me, but it did. And I know where it came from. Sure, thank you. And I dumped that. And I never pick it up anymore. Everything in life I share with my very own God. And I don't have to go anyplace to do it because he's with me. Now, lastly, in the last 35 years, there's been no place for me to point the finger. If there's anything wrong with me, I have to come to myself and say to me, wait a minute, big boy, what have you allowed to get between you and your program and your God? 